Hey everybody, this is Brian, your friendly neighborhood dungeon master and the host of Cannon Fodder. Are you interested in brand new playable content, DM tips and tricks, and expanded lore for the Fractured Realms? Then consider checking out the 20-Sided Newsletter, a free bi-monthly email newsletter that delivers tons of cool content and keeps you up to date on all the latest projects within the 20-Sided Podcast universe. To subscribe, you can click on the link in the show notes below or go to 20sidedpodcasts.substack.com. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Cannon Fodder, the supplementary show to the 20-Sided Podcast all about world building and lore. This is an exercise in collaboration, improvisation, and storytelling where we build a world one piece at a time. And each week, our guest will determine which piece we'll be building by spinning the wheel of world building. Last week, we had on Tim Keck, had a whole bunch of fun with him. But this week, who knows? Anything is possible with this wheel. And remember, whatever we come up with, no matter how crazy, will become canon within the Fractured Realms and within the 20-sided podcast itself. As always, we have the fate of the world in our hands, but no pressure. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, I am willing to bet that you already know our next guest. Let's see how long it takes you to guess it. He was, let's, let's go for a deep cut here. He was the artistic director <laughs> and later editor-in-chief of the Sundial Humor Magazine. It's an Ohio State University deep cut for you. That's going all the way back to university. Not yet? No? Okay, let's move a little forward. Uh, you might have seen his art or comics on show posters all around New York. Maybe you've seen some of his comedy shows. Maybe by chance you found yourself at Under St. Mark's on that cold, dreary night for the one night only comedy revelation that was Show or <laughs> Serpico. Possibly the best comedy uh. show of all time. <laughs> he's, he's the host of Nerdy for 30, a podcast where he talks about nerdy-ish things for 30-ish minutes. And... He's been a day one supporter of the 20-sided podcast, mostly because he was in it. Have you, have you guessed it now? Maybe you know him as the dim-witted Cleave Beef Chief from the RMS Titanfall or the gloriously dumb Gord Splithoof from My First Dungeon, but I know him and you know him as the one and only Kevin Bauer. What's up, Kev? Oh my God. Day one, baby. Day one. Day one. Day one. Oh, Brian, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. What an intro. Of course. Wow. I gotta, I gotta share the whole, the whole spread, the whole breadth of career. I, I've never felt more accomplished than in this moment. <laughs> and you've never been more accomplished than being on this show. <laughs> this is the heights. It's all downhill from here. Oh my God, I'm ready. Let's go skiing. Yeah, so let's get started here. This is a strange question to ask because I know all the answers, but but for our audience, how did you get into D&D? Oh, wow. You know, my first real intro to it was my manager at the first job that I worked out of college. My manager was not a guy that I would consider to be nerdy in the slightest. He was very muscular, uh, would go to the gym before and after work most days. Oh, wow. And this dude, told me to check out the podcast Harmontown specifically because of the D&D games that they would play at the end of each episode. Mm -hmm. So after months of this guy hounding me about it, I finally checked it out. I fell in love with the show, fell in love with Dan Harmon, and got so interested in D&D 
that I rounded up a crew of friends and uh, found a first time DM and we went for it, had a ball. It's a great fucking game. It's so much oh, fun. It sure is. And then outside of D&D, are there any like fantasy, sci-fi, touchstone kind of properties that, that kind of define your relationship with, with the genres? What, what were like the cornerstones of your like sci-fi fantasy cultural existence, if you will? Interesting. I would say, so I, strangely enough, I hate fantasy. I am not a fantasy guy at all. Really? I actually part, didn't know that. Yeah. You know, I watched, this is heresy that I'm about to drop on a Dungeons and Dragons oh, podcast. No. I'm not a Tolkien guy. I've never read the books. I, I tried I, to I read feel, the I books. I feel like every Tolkien fan of the world went, uh, oh, come on. <laughs> I know. Well, they're also, I know the reaction to what I'm going to say next, which is uh, I tried to read the books. I started with the Silmarillion. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was, you did it wrong. You were, you were wrong. I did it. I did it real wrong. Recently, I've started thinking like, you know, I, I should give it a good try. Lauren, my girlfriend, has never seen the Lord of the Rings movies, so I kind of want to rewatch that with fresh eyes and more of an exposure to the fantasy world because the D&D universe has really drawn me into it. But outside of D&D, never had any interest in orcs, trolls, anything like that, mm. unless they were appearing in Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter was a big one. Star Wars was a big one. But first and foremost, superheroes everything marvel comics i know uh from from your podcast 30 for 30 a whole bunch of marvel content in there oh yeah in dc too i was a huge green arrow guy but uh who's your who's your number one in the superhero world number one in the superhero world that is such a huge question brian it's i i think if i have to lock it down to anything i'm probably gonna pinpoint it onto specifically jake johnson's spider-man was a okay. huge Spider-Man yeah, guy growing yeah. up. I feel like he's the exact crystallization of what it feels like to grow up reading so much Spider-Man and then find yourself with, you know, the normal trials and tribulations of adult life. You're not where you think you're going to be. You got to make do with where you are. That's Jake Johnson. He's the Spider-Man that is all of us right now. He is the everyman Spider-Man. He really is. I do love Jake Johnson. I, I, Abby and I, during the pandemic, she was always a fan of this show, and I got into it during the pandemic because it's just a great kind of bubblegum show. Uh, New Girl, which features Jake Johnson heavily. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He's so good. Oh, just the best. Well, now that the cat's out of the bag that you're not a fantasy guy, let's go ahead and help <laughs> me create a fantasy world. Yeah. Let's do it right this time. Let's do it right. These guys have all been getting 17 episodes before we got it right. Take a look at the wheel real quick. And tell me, is there anything on there? Tell me, like, what's jumping out at you that's interesting you either either you want to do or maybe there's a few things that you're seeing. You're like, no, 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 thank you. Brian, I got to tell you, Mm -hmm. I've been listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned it multiple times. Multiple people have asked about it. To my knowledge, no one has landed on it yet. And I'm scared every time that they're going to land on it because of how bad I want idioms. Idioms. Idioms, I think, is going to be incredibly fun when it gets landed on. Idioms is just a good one. I, I, I've even, I think I've kind of elaborated on idioms in this because I had idioms. I also added in slang, which is kind of in the same world, gestures and greetings, kind of in the same world. And also uh, one that I learned, curses and minced oaths. I never knew what a minced oath was, but it's like, instead of saying damn, you say dang. It's the curse, and then it's the PG version of the curse is the minced oath. Oh my God. Which I thought was, was goofy as hell. 
I mean, that's a that's a late breaking pick. I would love that. So you're really hoping for uh, for that idiom spin. Absolutely. And anything that you honestly, anything you just mentioned sounds great. We got a whole bunch of language based items on the wheel. Anything on there you see in that you're you're not as interested in that you're thinking, ooh, maybe not. No, thank you. Um, let's see here. No, you know what? This is a this is a pretty robust wheel. It's we a got strong a lot of wheel. Good options here. Very strong wheel. Strong wheel. I think it's time. We're gonna put the fate of the world in the hands of this multicolored wheel. Go ahead and spin that wheel of world building. Oh, gestures and greetings. Gestures and that. greetings. Okay, here we go. So not quite idioms, but we're in we're in the realm of like physical idioms right now. Oh, it's a beautiful way to put it. A, a gesture is a physical idiom. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. That's a Brian Flaherty original. <laughs> that is also the title of this episode for sure. <laughs> gestures, <laughs> the physical idioms. It's a phrase you can feel. So let's talk about gestures and greetings. So those, are, those are two totally different things. We have gestures, which could be, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Middle finger could be, you know, the Vulcan salute could be the peace sign, could be fist bump, all these types of things. And then there's greetings, which is more specific. It is more hello, goodbye, but with some kind of like physical thing, you know, the head nod, the up nod, the fist bump, the wave. There's a whole bunch of different things. Which would you like to start with? Would you like to start with the specific of the greeting or the kind of broader of the gesture? Let's start with the gesture. Let's start physically and. Let the meaning flow from there. Okay, so we've got a gesture. Generally, the way I see it is most of these things are very tied to place, very tied to an area. So let's kind of pick an area on the map. You're, you're vaguely familiar with, with the world, but we have Saruya, which is uh, where the Twin Ports are, which is where Cleve Beef Chief is from. We have mm-hmm. Azore, the mountainous continent. We have the untethered cities above. We have Veradun off to the west with the relinquished territories surrounding the Meyerwood Forest. And we have the Twilight Assembly kind of in the center as a UN type thing. Any of these areas sticking out to you as one you'd want to create a gesture for? You know, the relinquished territories. I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. Okay, we're going to the sands of the relinquished territories. Not a lot of people out here. Most of it is is concentrated in the orcish city of Vena, which you know is a direct transplant from our home game that we ran during the pandemic. Vena was one of the main cities. I've just put into this fantasy world because I ran out of things. I ran out of things to say. (laughs) I love it so much. The idea of the cremation bricks. If you, Mm -hmm. I think you talk about that in the episode with Nate. If you haven't listened to that, go back and find that. It is my favorite bit of world building I've ever done that Vena is an orcish city and all the the orcs, they're generally mercenaries. And the only rule when you hire a Vena knight, a, uh, a Venetian, I guess, maybe a, a Venonite mercenary is that you must, if they die, return their body to Vena. If you don't, like you are hunted, you're excommunicated, you will like be killed for breaking this contract because the bodies of anyone from Vena are cremated and turned into bricks. And these bricks, the, the entire city of Vena is built up with these like golden rod sandstone bricks. And anytime someone dies, their body is made into a like gray brick of ash that then replaces one of the bricks of one of the buildings. So the, the city is known as the graying city or to the more macabre, the creeping mausoleum because it is slowly graying over the years. So like 
when there were accounts of it from a thousand years ago or you know a couple hundred years ago, it was a largely like goldenrod sandstone city. And now it has been built up, but it's getting more and more gray as more and more people pass away and essentially become Venom. That is so sick. I love that so much. I really nailed that one. I haven't had anything that good. <laughs> when, I, when I did that one, I, that was a good day. What is a, a gesture that you think might come up in a society that is, is largely mercenary? I know we talked with Chinook on, I believe it was episode two of this, but the fashion of Venna, which is very free-flowing, like sarong type, type lower wear, like pants, largely like topless or very bare-chested, lots of tat, like very tattooed culture. Tattoos have a lot of significance in this, in this culture. And brands, oddly enough, have a lot of significance in this culture. Like getting a brand tattooed on you is like a big deal. What do you think a gesture is that would arise? Or maybe what is a feeling that you'd want to communicate non-verbally? in such a society. When I think of orcs, when I think about like a, a mercenary class, I'm thinking a lot about these are these are tough people. This is not uh the people from Venna, they're not like, you know, they're not pussyfooting around. If you're gonna go into work being a mercenary, you're tough as nails. Yeah. And that's not typically something you would associate with people expressing a lot of emotion. So I think that tends to be the kind of thing where people find really like aggressive ways to show more vulnerable emotions, almost as like a way to proactively cover up for the vulnerability that they're about to expose. About I see themselves. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in the real world where you see that a lot is with professional athletes. Okay. So the very first thing that came to my the very first thing that came to mind. Are you familiar with the Monster Bash? No. What is, what is the Monster Bash? It was this fucking like forearm collision that I think was Mark McGuire and somebody else. I got to research this real quick. For anyone who doesn't know what the Monster Bash is, I will put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. It was Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. Uh, they were known as the Bash Brothers. The Lonely Island actually made like a... I don't know, like a rock opera. I don't know what you would call it. Seriously? I think it's still on Netflix about these two. Yeah, it's bizarre, but very funny. Um, so yeah, they became known as the Bash Brothers because they were both, according to Wikipedia, prolific home run hitters while they were teammates on the Oakland Athletics. So they began celebrating home runs by bashing each other's forearms together, which spawned a marketing campaign that was a takeoff on the Blues Brothers. I'm reading this directly from Wikipedia. It was like a replacement for a high five. So instead of high fiving each other, what they did is they like both put up their forearm and they would kind of like almost like make an X and like sure, collide sure. their forearms against each other. A lot of people started doing this, just, you know, imitating this thing they saw on TV. And it's like a very bad place to hit your forearm. It's very easy to break your forearm accidentally by yeah, doing this. It seems like a bad, like, I'm just like, I'm doing it myself, it, you know, in front of the microphone. It's like, that's not going to feel good if you do that with any kind of force. No, it feels awful. And if you watch footage of them doing it, they do it like pretty gentle, like all things considered. These Just are big dudes. And so they're doing it pretty gentle with each other. But I think a lot of people, you got to check me on this. I think a lot of people broke their arms imitating the monster <laughs> bash. <laughs> Honestly, if it's not true, I want it to be. That's, that's my new <laughs> headcanon for the legacy of Mark McGuire. It's just a lot of embarrassed stories about Hey, did you ever break a bone? Yeah. Oh, what happened? Uh, 
You remember the Monster Bash? Do you remember the Monster Mash? Well, it's kind of like that, but with baseball. What? A, yeah, I didn't even consider the fact that that is a direct play on the Monster Mash as well. <laughs> wow. But I really like the idea of a society that isn't necessarily showing emotion to overcompensate, like overcompensate showing weakness or emotion by showing too much strength at like an inopportune time. I think it's very fun. And it's just like rife for comedy and like spoof, essentially. Love it. So here's my question for you. Yeah. Is this kind of a thing where like, you know, like I said, these are mercenaries and the monster bash leaves you very open to breaking a forearm. So my first thought is that if you're a mercenary, your arms are important. You're not going to risk that. Not going to risk breaking it on a bash. So would this be the kind of thing where I'm allowed to say, you know, for the people doing this gesture, they have some sort of, let's say, like a forearm guard on that's maybe like a metal or a flint or something that would spark when they hit it against another person's forearm? Yeah, you could totally say that. That's that's how it is now. That's a rule now. Do you think it is more armor-esque or is it adornment? Is it like jewelry? I'm thinking it would be probably, I'm thinking it'd be whatever like the compulsory forearm guard would be. So like how pretty much any, after Batman got big, pretty much any superhero that like worked at nighttime you would see had like the Batman gauntlets on. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking like whatever gauntlets an orc would be wearing from Venna, they're like scraping up against each other and shooting sparks. Do you think they have, is it, do you only have one on one arm? Like is there a dedicated monster bash arm or is it is it both arms absolutely dedicated monster bash arm okay and and what does this adornment what what, what is this this bra- bracer brazer that feels wrong what is this arm band what does it look like is it plain is it heavily decorated or adorned what, what's what's kind of going on there you know and thinking it's like a it's like a leather wrap on the inside mm-hmm. and then on the outside is where you get your, I don't know, very frictionous metal, your metal that is very prone to, to sparking. Okay, I, I could see it being like almost a layered, because to, to make a spark, you have flint and you have steel. So you could almost have it being a mix of the two metals, like have it being like layers of flint and steel, then flint and steel, then flint and steel, so that no matter what, you, you strike it and you're going to get some sparks. Plus, it's, it's, just, it's just practical. You've got flint and steel all in one little area on your arm. You're carrying it around. It's both decorative. It has meaning to show emotion. Oh, my God. It's great intimidation in battle mm-hmm. when you go to block a shot with your forearm. We're talking you need to start a fire when you're yep. out at a campsite. You just scrape your blade against your... your. Uh, did we land on brazier? Is I, this a- I, there is a thing called a brazier. <laughs> a, a brazier. But I think that's something to do with fire. There is a word for the thing that covers your arm, and I don't know what it is. And this has come up multiple times on this podcast, I think, that I've incorrectly said this. Oh uh, so whatever, a gauntlet, I guess it's more gauntlet, but that's more hand. I don't know what you do with your arms. I, I, really, I really dig this, this idea of this thing. And are we thinking, is it a, when you were going to make this, this gesture, so when you're going to you know, strike arms, what is it called? Is it called... The monster bash, is it called like when you say like, you know, give me a high five, give me a dap, give me a fist bump, peace sign, wave, whatever. What do you call this gesture? Oh, let's see. Uh, I wanted to relate to the fact that it's definitely going to send a little uh, 
Send a little cascade of sparks going down. Putting sparkle in the name would be a bad idea <laughs> for this group of, uh, like I said, aggressively. I mean, keep in mind, you could just kind of redefine, like, I think in Earth, modern day, you know, real world, sparkle is kind of a childish, feminine word. You could make it so in this world, sparkle is the roughest, tumblest fucking word. I like that. You know what? Let's go with that. Let's call this the sparkler. Love it. Hit him with the sparkler. Sparkle me, baby. Bam. And it's just, it's just every time anyone does it, it's like the, uh, the LeBron James, you know, the clap. And then oh the flower comes down. Brilliant. There you go right there. That can be the celebratory one is if you and someone that you just had a victory alongside do it upwards into the air. It's a way to celebrate your victory. You're just sending the sparks and it's up. It's just like a rainbow of sparks that shower the both of you in glory. But it can also be like a good game thing. Like I'm thinking for the most part, it's your way of expressing like, I really respect what you just did there. It's a pat on the butt. Exactly. Your friend's out there in the pits. She fucking kicks somebody's ass. She's coming out. You hit her with a sparkler. And it's like, head nod, respect. Nice. That was nice. sick. Hell yeah. Sparkle me. I love it. Anything else you want to add on to the sparkler? Are there any like stipulations? Are there any other little knickknacks or doodads that you want to kind of hang on the Christmas tree of the sparkler? Yes. And this is going to be, this is directly influenced by the fact that I have played a lot of Halo in my lifetime. It can also be a serious form of disrespect a la teabagging in Halo. So if you are like trying to be really disrespectful of an opponent and you, you know, again, take it back to the fighting pits, you just kick the hell out of them in the mm-hmm. fighting pit and you want to disgrace them, you can just stand over them and sparkle them and get out. And the crowd's going to go, oh! I love making this into a crowd pop moment. Just like, oh, I fucking sparkled him, man. Sparkled him. It's like in the NBA when somebody gets put on a poster. It's that. <laughs> <laughs> Sparkle. It's the new, newest gesture, the oldest uh, greeting of the people of Vena. We did a, a gesture for Vena. Let's move on into something a little more specific, a greeting, Uh, specifically like a physical gesture of greeting. Or or maybe if you want to make add in a in um, the current season of 20 Sided Podcast, I am completely ripping off the the seminal BBC surreal spy drama, The Prisoner. And there was an iconic gesture and greeting that was be seeing you. And you would put your thumb and your forefinger together in kind of like an okay put it to your temple and kind of like salute your cap like that. And that was be seeing you. I'm realizing now that doing a gestures episode on a audio medium might not have been the best idea, but, uh, <laughs> but we're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. We got to get real descriptive. I should stipulate based on that, that when I'm talking about just because, you know, you can't see what I could see. So when I'm saying that Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire were on anabolic steroids, I mean, these guys were huge. <laughs> <laughs> when you're picturing these forearms colliding, it's true. I want you picturing forearms. like a medieval times turkey leg. <laughs> <laughs> Two of those just slapping up against each other. It's wet. They've been playing the whole game. They're sweaty. They're That's sweaty the men. Bash. They're hairy men, and they are very, very vascular right now. <laughs> so let's move on to that greeting, which could be, which should be a, a gesture of some sorts, like a wave, a salute. Uh, it could include a verbal component as well, should you so choose. 
let's start with kind of the area you want this to represent. What do you want to stay in Vena or do you want to kind of look around to other areas of uh, Riven? I'd like to take it back to the Twin Ports, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Going back to the stomping grounds of Cleave Beef Chief. Mm-hmm. Something that Cleave would probably know. So what's a, what, what's a good gesture for the Twin Ports? This is a very aquatic civilization, very kind of Venetian continent, lots of canals, waterways. And the Twin Ports are fairly cosmopolitan. They're like a heavy center of trade for Ceruya. What kind of gesture for greeting do you think would develop in a place like this? Let's see. You know, my first thought was, so the Twin Ports, I mean, ages ago were united, right? Mm -hmm. And then kind of as part of the war came apart. But then after, I mean, no spoilers here, I guess, spoiler warning, (laughs) after the events of the first season have kind of begun the process of being drawn back together. So my first idea was that you can draw a line there and in greeting someone, hello, some kind of a symbol that symbolizes the ports coming together. And in greeting someone goodbye, something that symbolizes the ports coming apart. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. The Spock hand sign seems, you know, it's too, it's on the nose. Sure. We got to get something better than that. That opening and closing aspect of it. And you probably can't have two hands because let's just, you know, there's people walking around, there's markets and stuff. Somebody's got a big bag of flour over their shoulder. They're not going to take their hand away from that to do a two hand symbol. So it's got to be something that has two disparate things that you can do with just one hand, Mm -hmm. which I think is going to be easiest to do with probably your, your middle finger and your pointer finger. Sure. You're you're like your most pliant fingers. So I'm thinking almost like a symbol similar to crossing your fingers when you greet someone. Okay. And that is the two of you coming together. And then, uh, so maybe like if you take being very descriptive again, if you take your hand, Mm-hmm. And you put up a peace sign mm-hmm. and then you cock your hand as far to the outside of your arm as possible. So turning towards so your like, pinky with your, with your palm turning, facing yes. out. Yep. So that way. So you kind of got a, you've got like an arrow with your fingers pointing towards you. Mm-hmm. So upon greeting someone, if you were to bring your hand, tilt your hand back in the direction of your thumb while also crossing your fingers. That would symbolize the two of you coming together. Okay. And then upon parting, you would reverse it. So you would unclasp them and kind of point it back out toward your pinky. So, so it is kind of a, almost like a, you know, uh, the, the dance move where you like, you cast and then you reel someone in. It's kind yeah. of like you're, you're pointing, you're almost pointing at them with both fingers extended and then pulling it back, linking you, linking you together. And then when they're going away, you're, we're back out separate. I love that. That's a beautiful crystallization of what I was circling. This is very cool. I think this is a good, it's a good gesture. So when you're, so say I, I see you from across a crowded room, I look at you, or, or do you kind of point at someone first with your two fingers and then kind of like bring it up in almost like a salute? Yeah, definitely. Because it's, you know, these are crowded places. You got to get their attention. Mm-hmm. And so the point is a way to trigger someone's attention in the middle of a crowd. So rather than pointing with the one finger, like we do in, you know, modern day earth, we point with the two fingers, not together, but separate, kind mm-hmm. of like in a horizontal peace sign. Exactly. And then when you get someone's attention, you bring your fingers up to the vertical while crossing them. Yep. In a kind of like, almost like a salute, like you would do as a soldier, but 
you know, a little more, a little more peace signy. Yeah. And then same thing, you know, rather than giving someone like a nice little salute to say goodbye, you keep your fingers crossed and then you release them kind of like sending them off saying we are now separate. Go as you may. I love it. That's very cool. I like it. And it's like, I really thought that this was going to be a tough one because greetings are so, it feels like we've kind of like gotten them. Like we have the greetings that exist, but this Mm -hmm. is a very, this is the kind of thing I love with this podcast is a, it affirms the decisions that have already been made in the world, that there was these two ports that were together, separated, and then came back together. And it expands on that. It heightens it because anytime you are able to, in a D and D game or really in any kind of fiction or literature or any kind of media, anytime you're able to make a decision that reaffirms or heightens something that you've already made, it is almost always a good thing. Cause it just adds to the richness of the world that you're trying to build. And this absolutely nails that. I think I, maybe I, I gotta get someone to like draw a, like a diagram, you know, like, yeah. Like dance steps. Almost yeah, like dance steps. That's what I was say. Oh my God. That'd be great. What I love about this is that it's the act of like turning the the crossed fingers back into a sideways peace sign. Mm-hmm. It can look very flippant, which I mean, selfishly for me personally, for Cleve, that feels dead on with the way that he would conduct his business. Yeah, it could be very casual and just kind of like you kind of like literally like flick your fingers out and kind of just like send someone on their way. Like, all right, fuck you. Exactly. But it could also be, you know, that very solemn or very like friendly kind of, you know, just in, in the flick of your wrist, you can really convey a lot of message with how that greeting or that goodbye is meant to be perceived. It's all in the context, man. It's all in the communication between people. It's all in the hips. It's all <laughs> in the hips. I love it. And what is that gesture called? So like we have waves, we have salutes. We have hugs, we have embraces, we have, you know, European kiss, hello, whatever you call that. What do you call this gesture? I'm going to say it's going to be similar to, it's going to be similar to aloha in that it means both hello and goodbye, Hmm. but the word for it is just going to be ports. I like that. Yeah. Very like twin ports. Not only is this gesture hello and goodbye because it is Hello and goodbye. They are twin meetings. They are the twin ports. It is, again, reaffirming the world that is already there. Oh, my God. And again, adding detail on that make me look way smarter than I actually am. You know, you know what I think this is? I think this is just an extension of of me as Doc and you as as Gord. And I We're think back know, in it. it's 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 all fr- from your brain to my lips to your ears. I mean, that's what's happening here. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just synthesizing here. Thank you. I feel like I have great ideas. Well, I, God, I got to say, you are absolutely correct. I think this is great. We, we have two great gestures to add to this world that really like enrich the world. There is one more thing I want to do before we move on into the lightning round. Every time I do this show, we have two segments. We have the wheel of world building where we spin the wheel and we have the lightning round where we answer a few quick questions at a slow meandering pace. <laughs> Because you have been a day one supporter of this show, I want to suspend a rule for a moment. Oh. And I want to come up with an idiom with you. Oh my God, yes. Oh, this is a dream. Because I honestly, when you were spinning the wheel, I was so hoping that you'd get idiom. 
I love gestures. I think we've made two fantastic gestures to add to the world. But quite frankly, the people have been clamoring for it. We're 17 episodes in. I've been building this up so much. This won't oh be this God. won't be a full idiom spin, but let's let's just do a little a little taste. A little taste. Let's develop one idiom for this world. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Oh man. This is great. Okay. So is there uh the the floating world? Uh the untethered cities. The untethered cities. What is the climate like there? Is it very cold because it's very high up? It is what's the best way to put it? I'd say uh, kind of Chicago-esque in that it is very windy and it it has, you know, it has its hots and its colds. It is like very Arcanotech sci-fi. So it definitely has like heating, like no one up there is, you know, wearing parkas, but they're they're, like wind is a constant. Also, I feel like I, I should I should mention just in case someone is unaware what an idiom is, an idiom is a colloquial metaphor. So a a saying or a phrase that implies a meaning by saying something else. So uh, uh, what's a good example of an idiom? I'm sure we've said a thousand idioms on this thing. Um, but of course, uh, now that I have to think of one. It's all good. I'm on it. I just Googled best idioms example. Uh, here we go. Awesome. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, it's a piece of cake through thick and thin. Break a le- spill the beans. Balls in your court. Under the weather. Pull someone's leg. Once in a blue moon. These are all specifically English idioms. So they are phrases that require an understanding of the language to understand kind of the hidden meaning behind them. And they say when you're learning a language, once you are able to understand idioms, like that's kind of like the the top end of the language. And once you're able to make jokes in a language, that's when you truly know you have understood it. Um, So this is. That means I'm still working on English. (laughs) As are so many of us. So many of us. (laughs) Uh, so, so idioms are the the tip of the spear of language. What are we looking to replace with an idiom? Like, what what sentiment or phrase are we looking to create an idiom for? Do you think mm, that's a way better place to start? You know, sometimes you go through your day and you get to the end of the day and you realize that the entire day you just you just couldn't really get anything going. You tried and you failed on a lot of things. You mm-hmm. had a lot of little things go wrong throughout the day. So I think that, that feeling, the Germans would have a word for it. The Germans 100% have a word for it. It's 42 letters long and it's mostly vowels, but they definitely have a word for it. And we're going to have an idiom for it. Okay, so it's kind of a ennui, kind of, but the sensation of going through a day and being unable to accomplish what you wanted to. Yeah. So idioms are often also focused on place. So to say you're over the moon or to say you know, till the cows come home might take place more in a pastoral setting in like an agrarian society. Whereas to say, what's, what's a city based idiom to say a city based idiom might happen in a city. (laughs) So would you like to stay in the untethered cities? Yeah. The untethered cities. I would love to, I would love to touch that in some way. It feels like such a fun place. I'm very excited to play a game there sometime. Okay. So the untethered cities, kind of a New York stand in very, very technologically advanced, very air-based, very, um, we discussed with, with Julian Edward Williams in one of our early episodes, very kind of vapid culture, very obsessed with not possessing things, oddly enough. Like it is kind of the goal of like the higher echelon of the untethered city's residents to be truly untethered from like possessions, from place, from relationships. 
So to accomplish nothing in such society would probably look like a retention of things, like remaining tethered, maybe? Yeah, I can see that. I'm thinking of like, yeah, I'm thinking like the, in that case, the inability, like I said, to move on would be the case. The first imagery that came into my mind is like a kite. Like when there's no wind, you take a kite to the park, there's no wind and you can't do anything. So what do you think about the phrase, couldn't catch a breeze? How'd your day go? Uh, couldn't catch a breeze, man. Couldn't catch a breeze. I like, yeah, it's very, A, it's very air-based, reaffirms the thing. Couldn't catch a breeze. Like you, you, you totally understand what that means, especially in a society that has, that like would be very filled with gliders, would be very filled with flowing clothes. Yeah, couldn't catch a breeze feels pretty good. It's so central to everything for them. It would be like, I mean, you got to have that breeze, right? Got to have the breeze. And especially in a, a society that is untethered, is like floating above the sky. Flight is such a big component of, of that city. So to not have the wind, to not have the breeze says like, hey, there's nothing I could do about it. I had all the equipment. I was ready to go. Breeze wasn't there. I love that. That's great. You did it again. Every <laughs> single one of these. You are incredible at that. I, I, I tell everyone I am not a good solo act. Man, I'm a great member of a band. <laughs> ah, don't sell yourself short, man. I've heard your mixtape. It's dope. Hell yeah. Coming soon to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. No, it's, it's going to drop on Dat Piff. It's going to be great. Please, the first thing to hit Dat Piff in 10 years. But yeah, Can't Catch a Breeze really says it affirms society, it lives in that society, and it very clearly gives you an image that a non-native speaker of common or, or the language of this area wouldn't necessarily get. But the second you understand meaning and metaphor and can visualize what's being said, you understand the kind of colloquial metaphor of it. I think Can't Catch a Breeze is kind of perfect. That's perfect for Untethered Cities. We did it. We've been waiting 17 episodes. Kevin, you've been waiting for so long, and I think we done nailed it. Oh, my God. I've got my arm up like Bender at the end of the breakfast club. I'm just waiting <laughs> for someone to come give me some sparks. Make Don't me sparkle. Don't you forget about me. <laughs> we can't license that song. We have successfully completed our wheel of world building we've successfully completed our little supplement to the wheel of world building uh talking about a little idiom extra it is time to move on to the second of two segments lightning round this is the segment where we answer a few quick questions at a slow meandering pace uh you'll, you'll see what i mean so kevin the first question i have is what is a rumor that is currently going around the world it could be true it could be false it could be inflated it could be underplayed what is a rumor that's currently going around? There's a dog in the woods. Okay. And if it comes up to you and you put the absolute, like, most valuable coin that you have in your pocket in its mouth, it will run away and come back 10 minutes later with five more of that coin. But if you give it anything less, then the most valuable coin in your pocket and try to trick it, it's going to know and it will never come back. Oh, I like this. So do you think how 
because only because I want to follow up. I want to add a little bit more to this because I think it's cool. Is this a like child's tale? Is this like a fairy tale to like prevent people from lying? Or is this something that like has just been going around the water cooler? Like it, like every person seems to know a person who has had this happen. How is this kind of getting spread around the world? Okay. So I think it's like when people say they've seen a ghost. Okay. Where it's like everybody knows at least a couple of people that claim that they saw the ghost dog. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, dude, I went to the woods. I saw the ghost dog. And it's like, get the fuck out of here. You didn't see the ghost dog. And they're like, no, no, no. I did, my, I did. my aunt saw the ghost dog. Yeah. It's like, it's relatively such an inconsequential amount of money that you get back right. that like you'd be able to fake it easily. It's not like you're saying, you know, I gave it $10,000 and it brought me 50 back. Right. I love it. That's a great rumor. I always love rumors that have low stakes, but are mysterious. I don't know. Somehow like, you know, the big rumors aren't as interesting, something that is like, it's just little enough that like, it must be true. Like there's no reason someone would come up with that, but it's just kind of living out there. Oh my God. That's like the big squirrel. There's like a big, we're both from Ohio. There's like the rumor going around about the big squirrel and everybody's like, have you seen the big squirrel? I haven't heard about about this one. Is this just on Ohio state's campus or is this just in Ohio? It might be in like the Metro parks that are like just north of Ohio state's campus. I know the people that I know that have been talking about the big squirrel live just north of campus. It's just supposed to be a really fucking big squirrel. And it's like, have you seen the big squirrel? And it's like, I don't know. And it's like, if you don't know, you haven't seen the big squirrel. Like, <laughs> you would a, know. You would it's know a big immediately. Squirrel. Yeah. Second question I have. What is the name of a person in this world? And what is the most interesting thing about them? Could be a personality trait, a physical characteristic, a quirk, the name of a person, and the most interesting thing about them. Their first name is Velos. Velos, okay. Okay, here we go. The the bird people? Uh, the Aarakocra? Aarakocra. Awesome. I thought it was Aarakopra. Cocra? Aarakocra, yeah. A lot of Ks in there. So his name is Velos Aarakocrum. Okay. And the rumor is that he is the, I guess he's a direct descendant of the first Aarakocra. Okay. And, and is he, just to make sure, he himself is also an Aarakocra, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Could be funny if he was just like a dwarf and he's like, no, nah, you guys don't understand. I am actually, I'm 100% Aarakocra. I don't know what happened. <laughs> it's an all of the other reindeer situation. Just completely. <laughs> just completely missed it. No, he's saying all of. You mean olive? All of the other reindeer. I'm the other reindeer. Last question I have is a two-part question. I always want to end uh, one of these episodes by asking our guests what is a question they have about the world. Last week, we had on Tim Keck, uh, who you're very familiar with, your co-host for Nerdy for 30, and he had this question for you. My question is, what's something that people do for fun? Like, what? how do they pass the time? What are they doing? It's... It's Friday night. They just got done in the fields. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be home for two hours. What am I going to do for fun? I mean, you can drink, you can, you can do whatever, but like we're going down to the tavern to do what we're meeting up with the boys in a field. We're circling the wagons. We're going to stand out in the field and do what? Like, what are they, what are they doing? So, uh, I think the question was, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, are, what are people doing with their free time? How are we having fun in this world? Oh my God. I'm going to tell you exactly what they're doing. 
They're going down to the tavern. They're flipping disc. They're flipping disc. What, what is flipping disc? I picture flipping disc as being kind of halfway between flip cup and like shooting dice. So, you know, people are standing (laughs) around, everybody's putting their bets on it. You've got like a disc, like a big, like a discus sized thing, like dinner plate. You know, if you're not fancy, you can use a dinner plate for it for sure. One side of it is like a clay color. The other side of it is like a, like a soot covered, like a burnt out, like a black. Sure. And uh, maybe you put the disc kind of halfway off the edge of the table, like you would for a game of flip cup. And you've got a couple shot glasses next to you. And you flip the disc, and the disc goes through the air. You're trying to get this disc to go up as high up as you can. And you're taking as many shots as possible while this thing's in the air. <laughs> okay. And then it hits the table and lands. And if it lands on the tan side, you got to do it again and keep going. And you got to do that and keep taking <laughs> shots until it lands on the black side. And, and what is the penalty if you, if you flip it and you don't like, get a shot? Like, it, what, is, what happens if you don't get a shot down? Oh my God. I mean, just disgrace, just like social (laughs) shaming. It would be the equivalent of like, if you're in a game of flip cup and I mean, you know how like minuscule the amount of beer is at the bottom of those cups. Half a swallow. Yeah. It would be like, as if somebody was playing flip cup and they're like, I can't finish. I can't do it. It's like, what are you talking about? You can't, it's one little sip. You you wanted to play the game. You wanted to come out, Charlie. Yeah. Hit the disc again. Just keep trying. You got to keep hitting the disc. And everybody just gets kind of like real disappointed and they don't want to play with you on their team anymore. (laughs) That's great. We're flipping disc over at the local tavern. And the second part of that question is, what is a question that you have about the world for our next guest to answer? Awesome. Yes. I want to know, of course, all of us that have read the Harry Potter series of uh, novels and novellas know that Sirius Black, even though he goes on to be exonerated, started off the series as the most feared incarcerated person in that entire world. Mm-hmm. So what I want to know is, who is the Sirius Black of the Fractured Realms? Who is the most feared incarcerated person? Most feared and currently incarcerated. Yes. Okay. That's great. The answer is, I don't know, but we will find out next time on Cannon Fodder. And to uh, crib a line from Walter Cronkite, that's the way it is, ladies and gentlemen. Load up all that lore, fire it directly into the Fractured Realms. That is all for this episode of Cannon Fodder. Kevin, before we get out of here, you want to tell the people where they can find you, what you're up to, anything you want to plug? Absolutely. You know, you can find some of my comics online at Kabauer, K-A-B-A-U-E-R. Otherwise, Look me up on Spotify. You know, we got Nerdy for 30 coming out every, uh, I think every Thursday now we're doing Nerdy for Thursdays. It's a good time. We're having fun. Nerdy for Thursdays. Hell yeah. Brian, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute blast. This was so much fun. Of course. Of course. Please check out uh, Kabauer.com. Check out all of his great comics. Check out Nerdy for 30. It's a very fun podcast between him and Tim Keck talking about nerdyish things for 30-ish minutes every Thursday all around where you can find it. And you can also check him out on our first season of 27 Podcast, Escape from the RMS Titanfall, and in My First Dungeon, where Abby played her very first game and he happily joined us as Gord Splithoof. All so much fun. So much fun. And if you want to see all of today's world building put into action, just check out our parent show, The 20 Sided Podcast, season two of which, titled Prisoners of the Static, is airing now. 
And you can also find all 11 episodes of that first season, Escape from the RMS Titanfall, on any and all podcast services you can imagine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what a podcast is and how to get it. Type it into the thing, click on the button, click play, and that's how you listen to a podcast. That's how you do it, baby. That's how you do it, baby. This is how you do it. We done did it. We got gestures. We got greetings. We got an idiom. And we got questions for days for our next uh, for our next guest. But for now, that is all for this episode of Cannon Fodder. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.